Welcome to Soaring the Sky, a Glider Pilots podcast. Hello, my name is Chuck. I will be your host. This is episode 14. Today we talk to Clemens Shypek, a glider pilot out of Boulder, Colorado, who learned how to fly gliders in Austria flying over the Alps. Clemens is also a blogger who has a lot of very interesting things to say about soaring with his blog, Chess in the Air. Join us now as Clemens shares his adventure, Soaring in the Sky. Clemens, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Chuck. Uh, I'm glad to be here. Where did your aviation interest and where does your aviation story begin? Um, well, I mean, I, I grew up in Austria and um, I've been fascinated by, by flying, I guess, since I can remember, like probably most of your listeners. So if I, if I go back, uh, I think I was six or seven years old when I took a, a kid's tricycle and I strapped an ironing board onto the, onto the tricycle and then I rolled the tricycle down a hill and hoped it would take off. And uh, fortunately, <laughs> fortunately, it stayed on the ground. So, uh, but it, it, didn't, uh, it didn't diminish my, my interest. So anyway, so that was the first start. And then I, I guess I, did, I built RC gliders uh, as I grew up and uh, did a lot of rich soaring with RC gliders as a kid and then when i was 16 i got my my glider license and this was back in 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 austria Uh, so i had somebody to drive me to the airport because in austria you couldn't get a driver's license until you were 18 and so nobody really understood why you know i could fly a plane but uh i couldn't i couldn't drive so you started your flying in a glider then i did yeah this was uh this is a long time ago this was in 83 1983 how is flying gliders in austria compared to maybe here um i mean the the only places where i really have experience is is austria and uh, and the, the the rocky mountains here in the u.s and um it is uh, there, there are a lot of similarities. Obviously, mountain flying is is great in both places. I mean, the, the thermals are strong. The you can go long distances. The conditions are really good. Um, but there are also big differences. Uh, for example, the the cloud base in Europe uh, in the Alps tends to be a lot lower, and because the cloud base is lower, you're much closer to terrain. Uh, the the ridges um, are steeper. And so you, there's a lot of ridge flying, uh, but for the most part, you're trying to stay above the ridges, but you're, you're not very far away from the ridges. So you're always pretty close down at the ridge tops. And uh, the ridge tops are great because they, uh, they work. There's, there's typically the sun, especially during middle of the day, the sun will heat both sides of the slope. And there's, there's, you know, the air is streaming up from either side of the slope and then it converges at the top. And as long as you're flying above the ridges, you basically, for the most part, you're flying in lift. So it's a, it's a nice way of, uh, of flying. And then when you, when you go cross country, you basically go from one ridge uh, to the next ridge. So you, you're basically crossing narrow valleys and you're going from one ridge top to the next ridge top. That's a, it, but it's you're never very very high up unless the cloud base is unusually high. But for the most part, you you tend to be much closer to the ground. Uh, versus in the U.S., you're especially here in in Boulder, uh, Colorado, where I'm flying, uh, you're flying high above the mountains, and you, you actually really have to fly high above the mountains because the terrain is is very complex, and um, and there is not a lot of there are no land out places in the mountains, so you don't want to get low. Uh, and um, uh, so you really, here in the U.S., the mantra is, you know, get high and stay high. 
uh, versus in Austria, you are much closer to the ground. Wow, that's very interesting. So in Austria, you really are just, you're hugging those ridges. Yeah, you're much closer. Uh, you're much closer. And uh, I mean, if you look at the Alps, if you look at it on Google Maps um, and you look at the Alps, it basically looks like a fishbone structure. So you have, a, you have a main spine of the Alps and then you have from the side of the spine, you have protruding on either side of that spine, you've got like the, the ridge lines protrude, protruding out. So it looks like a fishbone. And when you soar, you typically, you know, unless you can fly along the main spine, but often you can't. Uh, so you go from from fishbone, from bone to bone, basically. So that's how I call it on my on my blog. I'm just calling it soaring from from bone to bone, basically. Uh, it's, a, it's a fun way of doing it, but you really want to leave, you only want to leave a ridge with enough altitude that you're confident that you can go above the next ridge uh, because you typically find the lift above the ridges and they're sink in, in the valleys in between. So you go from, from ridge top to ridge top. It's a, it's, a, it's a fun way of flying. Well, that, that would be fun, but a little uh, unnerving also. <laughs> <laughs> it, it can be, it can be. So, I mean, I think you, you just... That's where I learned. Uh, I think that there's a lot of people who go there for the first time. They're, they're quite intimidated by it, but that's how I grew up. I mean, I, I learned to fly right in the middle of um, of the Alps in a, in a, in a valley, and uh, I hadn't experienced anything else before. So uh, what else did I know? Oh, that's a good place to learn for sure. <laughs> it is a good place to learn. I think if you can fly there, you, you're pretty confident you can you can fly anywhere. Uh, but uh, I would say, you know, Boulder has its Boulder has its uh, has its challenges. We have a very very complex environment here. Uh, the soaring is fantastic. It's great. It's actually I think it's one of the best. Uh, but it is also very challenging, and uh, that's what I like about it. There's there's it's a we have we're on the lee side of the Rocky Mountains, so you always have the the winds, the westerly winds, they're coming over the mountains, so you always have to deal with the lee side effect. Uh, of being on the backside of the mountains, but then you have at the at the ground level, you have a lot of easterly winds at the surface level, and they tend to get stronger throughout the day as the thermals break off break off over the foothills, uh, and you sort of uh, there's there's usually a convergence line that forms between the where the westerly winds that are coming over the mountains they meet the easterly winds that are coming off from the plains, and you got to try and find that line that convergence line. Um, it's not always there, but it's very often it's there. And you find that line and then you can soar that line. You can go straight for long distances at, at pretty high speed. So it's a, it's a very fun way of soaring, but it's not easy to get into that line. It's not easy always to see what that line is, especially if the sky is blue. Uh, but it's, uh, it's, it's, it's challenging. It's very interesting. Uh, and it's a lot of fun. I've seen some of your flying uh, some of your flights you've done on the OLC, and it looks like you've had some pretty long flights. Yeah, I mean, compared to uh, compared to my club colleagues, I mean, I'm still I'm still learning, right? So I, I don't have that much experience, but um, you know, my longest flights are about 500 kilometers. Uh, but uh, the, there's a lot of people that have flown more than a thousand uh, kilometers out of Boulder. So there's this is a this is a great place for for long distance uh, for long distance flying. Uh, you can do it both in the in the winter in wave, and you can do it in the summer in, in thermals and, and convergence, and sometimes ridge lift depending on on the winds. And you get some good thermals off of the Rockies, I'm sure. 
Oh, we get, yeah, we get, we get fantastic thermals. So summer soaring season here, it's typical, you know, it's rare that you, on a normal summer day, it's rare that you don't find thermals that go up to 10 knots or more. And uh, typically the the, the cloud base tends to be pretty high too. So we very often get cloud bases that are above 18,000 feet. So we're really stopped by the class A, class A airspace as opposed to by the bottoms of the clouds. Yes, exactly. What are you flying right now? Uh, yeah, we have we have. Uh, this is we're very fortunate uh, here. I'm I'm with the Soaring Society of Boulder, uh, which is a very um, uh, successful and and old uh, club. It was founded in 1959. Um, we have great club equipment compared to most U.S. clubs. We have you know we're really spoiled. We have fantastic equipment. We have a uh, we have a DG505, uh, which we use as a as the cross country trainer. We have a basic, we have a, for basic training, we use an ASK21, and then we have a, uh, a discus. We actually just bought a second discus, so we have two uh, two disci, I guess, uh, discuses or disci uh, that uh, that are available to a to a club member. So for the most part, I fly uh, the discus. Very nice. What's the glide ratio on the discus? Yeah, it's about uh, one to forty-two. It's uh, it's it was the best, you know. It's a, it's not a totally new design. It's the design is is now it's a sort of an eighties design, nineteen eighties design, but it's still a very very strong ship uh, in the standard class. So at the at the time when it came out, I think it won four or five or six uh, standard class uh, world championships in a row. So that that ship is still a very very strong ship. Yeah, it seems that you know even in the eighties, the glass ships they were ahead of their time. They just they did such a great job on them. Yeah, I mean, the, if the, even the if you buy a standard class ship now, a completely new one, it's a little bit better, but it's not a lot better than than the discus. And I can I can uh, keep up with uh, you know it doesn't make much of a difference. You can you can typically keep up with with the other uh, modern gliders. Clems, when you go out on like a typical flight, what are you looking to do? What type of flying are you doing? Well, it totally depends on the conditions, right? So, uh, but I, I love to go cross country. It's just, uh, it's a lot of fun and it, it's very challenging. And then it depends on the conditions. I mean, there is, as I, as I said, you know, in, in sort of the typical conditions in Boulder is there's the, in the summer, uh, there is a, a convergence line that allows you to do uh, north-south runs along the, the Rocky Mountains. And then um, on many days, the, the conditions are even better on the west side of the divide. So if the conditions are good, uh, you want to cross the continental divide, and then you fly on the west side of the divide, in, uh, uh, in mostly in convective lift, uh, so in, in thermal lift. Uh, there's a lot of streeting going on, especially in the summertime, uh, typically above the, uh, the mountain ridges. Uh, you find uh, uh, you know, cloud streets. Uh, with lift, and uh, you can basically go from you know along those along those ridge lines, and uh, you know it's it's a lot of fun. You want to stay high. There's not a lot of places to land, so knowing where the land out places are, where the airports are, is 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 really important. I spent a lot of time uh, trying to figure out you know where I could go, where I can land, because uh, you you really don't want to get trapped somewhere uh, between the mountains and uh, with with no place to go. So it's it's very challenging, it's very demanding, uh, but it's uh, it's a lot of fun. You know, a lot of beautiful terrain from what I've seen. I haven't made it to Colorado. I've been north of there, but not south. But I mean, some some beautiful places to fly. But it yeah, it doesn't seem like a whole lot of places 
to land, it seems like there's some very rugged areas. Yeah, you have to know uh, where you can go. So, I mean, I actually have created uh, a, a very detailed map uh, of the whole of, you know, especially since I was, I'm, I'm fairly new to Colorado. I've only lived here for two years and I wasn't as, I didn't grow up with that geography. So you really, really have to understand the geography and you have to understand where the places are that you can go. Um, there are quite a few airports across the state, so you want to know, first of all, where the airports are, you want to know how wide the runways are, whether you can actually land your glider there, or if you get, if you run into airport lights. So it's, uh, it's, it, it, there's a lot of research that goes into this. It's, uh, it's kind of a fun way of, you have to do your homework. You can't just go out and fly, you have to do your homework, you have to know where you can go, where you can land, where you find the lift, where the wind is blowing from, how it the, how the wind is going to affect uh, the, uh, the the situation with uh, the lift and the sink. And uh, you have to think about, uh, is it, are there going to be wave conditions where, where the, you know, where the, where, where are convergence lines, where, which air masses are you dealing with and where are those air masses coming together? It's a, it's, it's a very uh, intellectually uh, demanding way of, of flying but it's uh that's to me what makes it fun it's it's sort of for me soaring is kind of where the is kind of uh at the nexus between art and science and uh and there's a lot of science involved here and there's a lot of uh understanding of the conditions and of the terrain it's it's really important if you want to be safe and if yeah. you want to go cross country i've always said you know if you're not a weatherman before you get into soaring you're pretty much going to be a weatherman when you're when you're fully into soaring because you do learn a lot about the weather and where you need to be and where you don't need to be and all those things you just you have to know that is definitely true yeah definitely true what was one of your most memorable flights? I, you must have had some amazing flights out in Colorado, but what are if you pulled one out of your logbook, what stands out that you can remember? Yeah, I mean, I actually, uh, I don't know if there's a there's a one flight that that really stands out, but I mean, obviously, one that I'm I was proud of was when I did my uh, my gold diamond gold distance flight, so a pre a 300k pre declared. Triangle um, last year, I did a few of those, uh, but I the, the reason I, 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 I like to look back at it because because I set up the triangle that was, was optimized to the weather forecast and I, I kind of got it right and uh, was able to fly it in two and a half hours, which uh, for our first 300K uh, triangle is, is pretty good. Uh, so, so congratulations. <laughs> yeah no thank you um so so that's i like to go but but what i what i really like to do is i like after a flight that you know i learn everything new on every flight and um i like to go back after every flight and i'm trying to reflect on you know what worked and what didn't work and uh where which observations did i get wrong and which observations did i get right and did i make the right decisions with the information that was available to me at the time or should i have made a different decision um and and i try to reflect on that and actually like to write about it and i because that's how i learn um, and that's why i've started a blog to write about it so um, I, I basically go back, I do post-flight analysis, and I do lessons learned so that uh, on my next flight, um, I'm not going to make the same mistakes again, and I'll, I'll do better. Can you share with us where that blog is, where they can find it? I will put it in the show notes, but um, tell us a little bit about it now. Yeah, absolutely. It's called uh, Chess in the Air. 
because it's I liken it to a chess game, um, playing chess in in the air. So it's chessintheair.com, and uh, you, you can, there's a lot of information uh, on there, not just about my flights, but but also about the weather, soaring uh, in general. As this, you know, I've tried to write reviews of books that I read and and articles that I read. Uh, I mean, it's, it's, I try to learn. <laughs> I try to learn uh, this stuff um, uh, so that I, I, you know, can make the most use of the um, of what I know when I go flying. Yeah, and helping others. You know, that's that's the big thing too. You know, it's gonna help out the next guy that is on a flight and he read the blog and and he learned something from it. And he's gonna remember that. So that's that's good. That's that's great that you're doing that. Yeah, and no, I hope so. Actually, and I see more and more that that is, that is the case. I. That wasn't actually the intention when I started. I really did it for myself. And the reason I published it was so to keep myself honest, uh, because it's kind of peer reviewed, if you will. And if I write something that is uh, that is just blatantly wrong, uh, people are not shy. They will tell me. <laughs> and, <laughs> right. <laughs> so so that's that's actually why I started it. But but I'm see, there's a lot of interest in it, and uh, I, it makes me makes me quite happy that that people are not only um, yeah, that not only I find it useful, that other people can find it useful and learn from it too. Absolutely. I was talking to you a little bit about because I was reading some of your blog, and there are some really interesting things on there. And one thing that, that I found, and what I've gotten into a little bit, and we've talked about it a little bit on past podcasts, but Condor has been very helpful for me. And we were talking a little bit about that. What is your, how do you feel about Condor? That's my question. Yeah, no, I I really like uh, Condor. It's a I look I look at it as a two things. One, it's a it's a tool for staying current and train for training and staying current. Um, but then it's also it's also a great fun game for you know for for multiplayer racing. So I I look at it for from both perspectives. So for example, this summer I'm going to go on a soaring camp in in Nephi in Utah. And uh, I'm just so happy that there is a a really great scenery for for Nephi, and uh, I've been flying in that scenery to get to you to get to know the terrain uh, in Nephi. So when I get there and fly a real glider, I will have flown in the Nephi scenery, and I will know where the you know where the mountains are, where the ridges are, where you know where uh, you know. And I tried to actually what I did is I would. I, I uh, looked at last year's. Last year they had the sports class nationals uh, in Nephi, so I, I went to create all the recreate in Condor all the tasks that they flew, and I flew the tasks in the in the Condor scenery, and so. I have a great idea not only what the task setters are doing and where they're setting the tasks, but I'm very familiar with the terrain by the time I get there. And and that is going to be hugely helpful. So I use it, in that case, I use it as a tool to get to know uh, an area. Um, I also think that for anyone, it's a great way to stay current, especially, you know, if, if you're not lucky and live in Boulder where you can fly all year round, but you have a long break in the winter. Uh, it's a way to stay current, and when you start in the in the spring, you're not, you know, soaring is not an, an alien thing that you basically have to <laughs> learn all over again because you've basically been practicing it, and uh, and a lot of the basic skills like thermaling and ridge flying and uh, th- those aren't uh, you know, our takeoffs and landings. Those those aren't very different from from real life. 
I mean, there are there are clearly there are differences. There are Condor is not the real life and it's not the real world. So so uh, so yeah, you know, for example, there are no convergence lines and there is there there are no extreme weather events and Condor weather is soaring weather. There are no cold fronts. There is no rain. There is no hail. There are no thunderstorms. There are no squall lines. So so there there are a lot of differences and you have to be aware of those differences. But it's. Uh, but it's still, it's a, if, you, if you understand what those differences and limitations are, in a sense, it's a, it's a great tool um, to, to practice with. Yeah, I've used it a lot in the wintertime myself. And getting back in the glider, there's definitely a big difference. Yeah, it makes it, yeah, because you, you're staying current. And then one of the things I really love about it is the, uh, is, as I said, is the multiplayer racing. There's a great, you know, especially the Europeans, they have uh, they have a lot of multiplayer uh, racing. There's 30, 40, 50 gliders that participate in in live races on Condor, and you can uh, you can really <laughs> you can uh, you can really fly uh, with some of the best Condor pilots in the world and and uh, and test your own skills. So, uh, but you just have to be careful that you don't teach yourself um, habits that could be dangerous in real life. So each time, actually, I. I fly in Condor. I tell myself, so I'm, I'm volunteering. I'm voluntarily going into a situation that I would not go into if this was if this was the real world, uh, because you are flying. You are taking a lot of risks in Condor than you that you would not take uh, in the in the real world. So you have to be very careful about that too. Yeah, I definitely agree with you on that. You know, our club actually started using the Condor. You know, some of us guys in the wintertime that fly at the club, of course, you know, when we fly in the spring and summer. But we actually have started something that we set up a race and we all fly together in the wintertime, four or five of us that we've done. And it's really cool because, you know, you still get that kind of club feeling that you get during the season when you're all flying. You still get to fly, you know, on the computer, but you're still flying. And in Condor, you know, like you said, you can fly with other people you can have contests and it's it's really nice yeah it's a lot of fun yeah yeah i mean it's not as fun as flying real gliders but it's still a lot of fun <laughs> yeah agreed it's second best <laughs> <laughs> yeah when there's snow on the ground and you can't fly it's it's kind of nice to be able to sit in the warm house and get on the simulator and fly fly you know a little bit like that yep no doubt about it you've learned a lot flying as a lot of us have learned but do you have any advice for current pilots that are flying you know what are some of the things you've learned from maybe mistakes or a flight that you you know reached out maybe a little further than maybe you should have what advice do you have for them yeah i mean i would say um you know i i'd like to challenge myself but i also try to be very aware of what i don't know and so for example i would i analyze flights of other people and my own flights and i compare them and um I am being very careful about what risks I'm willing to take and what risks I'm not willing to take. So there are people who have more experience that will do things that I will not do. And uh, I think it's important for anyone to to be very careful about that line. Um, uh, you know, I mean, I'll give you an example. Last last uh, week, I had a, a long final glide home and uh, I was... You know, until it, w- it all went great until the last 10 miles, maybe, when uh, I passed the last land out, uh, last good land out option. 
And uh, I still had plenty of altitude at that point, but I had crossed three patches of very strong sink. And as I crossed those patches of sink, I was like, you know, if there's another big patch of sink, you know, there I'm basically down in a field and I don't really like the fields that are on that stretch. I, I know there are fields like you can land safely and, um, but I, you know, I'm not, I don't have a lot of experience with landing in fields. So, so I preferred not to get there. Uh, and so, so it's, it's kind of, it is a calculated risk. I, I arrived very safe and sound. I arrived 1600 AGL above the airport and, uh, which was incidentally exactly the altitude that my flight computer had predicted. Uh, but it, <laughs> it, it was, it's not like in Condor. In Condor, you're, you know, you, you can take that risk and you always, you know, in Condor, you basically fly and arrive at, at 100 AGL or even, even lower than 100 AGL and you're comfortable. Uh, in real life, uh, you're not. And I'm actually glad that I'm not because, because it's, it, if, if I would be, I would be taking risks that I shouldn't be taking. Yeah, so un understanding, understanding your own limitations and your own comfort level and not going beyond that, I think is really important. Yeah. Listening to that voice in your head, you know? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And distinguishing between what is a game and what is reality. Exactly. You know? Yeah. We only have one life to live in, in real life. If you look at the, these multiplayer races in Condo, you find that, uh, you know, if you look at the results, you find that in almost every race, there's, um, uh, you know, five to 10%, sometimes more, of the people who are participating in the race crash their gliders. And in most cases, those crashes would be fatal if they would be in real life. So, so uh, again, I would just be cautioning anyone to just adapt the, 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 the condo habits and, and translate them to real life. Absolutely. What advice can you give someone that's maybe hearing this podcast for the first time and maybe they don't know anything about soaring, but it's kind of caught their interest and they're thinking about maybe grabbing their first glider ride? What would you tell them? <laughs> yeah, just go do it. I mean, it's uh, soaring is is one of I think it's one of the coolest um, things anyone could do because it's so multidimensional, it's so complex, um, uh, but it's also so beautiful. And and uh, it, as I said, it's, I think it's the nexus between art and science. And if if anyone who's interested in in science but who's also has a you know, uh, you know, who's not just an analytical person, but also somebody with a, a sense of nature. Uh, I think that's that's the right thing for them to go do. So just go and try it. I mean, there are some people for them. It's not the right thing for them. Uh, you will find out when you go and take a, a, a lesson. Um, and I would say take a lesson, not not a ride. So don't go to the airport and say, I want a ride go to the airport and say you want a trial lesson um, that makes a big difference and uh, you're, you're treated differently and uh, you will actually learn something you will you'll definitely get a good idea of what you're getting into and it's funny you know i've i've seen a couple of a few people come into the glider port and get a lesson and they're really most times they're really super excited about it and they're ready to sign up and they're ready to go get their glider license but Sometimes there's a few people like, uh, it was cool, but no, that's not for me. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, I mean, and some people get motion sick. And uh, if, you, if you know, and there's, there are, I even know people that get motion sick and they fly anyway because they love it so much. But 
I would say that's where I would draw the line. I mean, if I get if I get sick on every flight, <laughs> I, I don't think that would be that fun uh, for me. So flying in circles, if you get car sick, uh, then probably gliding is probably not the best thing for you. Clemens, I greatly appreciate you joining us today. Everyone is busy, and I know you're busy, and you have a lot going on. So I really do appreciate you helping the podcast and stopping by. If it isn't for great guests, I, there really would not be a podcast. So thank you. Well, thank you, Jack. I mean, I'm, I'm really glad you're doing this. There, are, As far as I'm aware, you're, you're the only one right now that has a podcast for gliding and for soaring. And, um, you know, I think it's a, it's another great way to get the word out. People in the in the U.S. in particular, uh, the, you know, soaring is, is a – that's another difference of between the U.S. and and Europe. In 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 Austria, pretty much everyone knows what soaring is. There's a lot more glider pilots around. Uh, when you fly, there's a lot more gliders in the air. You have to be more careful. Um, but uh, but people, the general public knows what gliders are. Uh, versus here, sometimes even pilots uh, who come from the from the power world, they come to soaring and they they don't even understand how this thing can stay up which is which is really surprising to me in, in europe that's the typical way of uh of uh, flight training is you actually starting gliders and then you know if you're interested in in power you switch to power you add on power here it's totally the opposite uh, way around people start in power and you know some of the power pilots find out that soaring exists yeah i agree i think definitely it should be the opposite i think maybe i need to stand corrected but i do believe the air force is still teaching how to fly gliders first for their guys and then they go into the power yeah that is true i think that is true uh and they are they're not far from here they fly in the same conditions that i'm flying in they're in colorado springs uh they have good equipment actually and uh they uh, have <laughs> they have the same great conditions that we have oh very nice well thank you clemens like I said, I, I appreciate you being on the podcast, and I'm going to look forward to keeping in touch with you and hearing about more of your adventures in soaring. Yeah, no, you're, you're more, more than welcome, and I'm, I'm glad to uh, be able to contribute to your show, and I wish you uh, all the best of success with your, with your blog and especially with your soaring. Thank you. I greatly appreciate that. Yeah, well, thank you, Chuck. You're welcome, Clemens, and thank you for listening. If you would like to check out Clemens' blog, the link is in the show notes. And while you're online, check out pictures that Clemens sent us that he shared with us and wanted to share with you. That is on SoaringTheSky.com, www.SoaringTheSky.com. There you can drop us a line also if you are a pilot or you're a listener and would like to share where you're listening from and just want to say hi. That's Chuck at SoaringTheSky.com. And as you know, for more information about soaring and maybe even to get your first glider ride, www.ssa.org. You can go there and get lots of great information. We hope you join us next time for episode 15 with another exciting guest right here on Soaring the Sky. <laughs>